19 and verse 31 for our sermon text. We will also read catechism responses together on page 36, the back of the blue hymnal. Question 75 and 76 of the Heidelberg Catechism. John 19, verse 31, picking up where we finished our scripture reading earlier. Sermon text this morning, verses 31 through 37. Please give your attention once again to God's holy and inspired word. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then if you would take your hymnal, and let's read the responses. Questions 75 and 76. Taken from Lord's Day 28. Christian, how does the Lord's Supper remind you and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and to drink this cup With this command, he gave this promise. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely his body was offered and broken for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. Second, as surely as I receive from the hand of him who serves, and taste with my mouth the bread and cup of the Lord, given me as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely he nourishes and refreshes my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and poured out blood. Christian, what does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and to drink his poured out blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and by believing to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But it means more. Through the Holy Spirit, who lives both in Christ and in us, 
we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so, although he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone, and we forever live on and are governed by one spirit, as members of our body are by one soul. Well, history has proven, especially in the last couple of centuries in our country, has proven that spiritual hoaxes are often uh, fertile ground to gain quite a following. One of the most famous of these was uh, the Fox sisters, three sisters who lived in New York State who claimed they could communicate with spirits through a a series of tappings on on a wooden table. And uh, this became such a, a sensation, such a phenomenon, that it actually garnered a following of about two million people worldwide and began... Uh, most of what is called now the spiritualist movement, and we still see uh, various aspects of that today. And, and most of the claims uh, people have today of the ability to communicate with spirits or the paranormal actually comes from this. Imagine a, a, a pair uh, or three sisters sort of thinking up a, magician, a magician's trick, an ability to make these sounds, uh, basically starting a worldwide movement of millions of people that spans a, a couple of centuries why, why does this happen? Well, there's something in, in the human heart that always feels drawn to these kinds of things. God has told us in his word, he's written eternity on, on the heart of man. But most of these are accepted on, on basically what is blind faith. And there are many people in this world who believe that Christians uh, accept all that Jesus Christ is for us, all that he does for us in the gospel, that we accept that on blind faith. And that is not true as we see in today's passage, that our faith is, is rooted in eyewitness testimony, that, that God works uh, along with things like our minds that are able to, to grasp and to reason. And yet, uh, Christianity is not just a, a bare rationalistic endeavor either. That there are things that, that we accept with faith, not blind faith, but accept with faith things that would be sensational, to many people in today's world, that Jesus Christ was not only man, but he was true God. That Jesus Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father, that after he was raised, he, he ascended on high, and he, he is there, and he intercedes for those who, who believe in his name, even now. The Christian faith is helped by God giving to us things that allow us to understand it is not blind faith. There is the evidence and the eyewitness testimony contained in the gospel stories. And yet, all that we believe in Jesus Christ, we do so as unashamed supernaturalists. That there are spiritual realities in this world that we accept that which the Bible says to us. And we believe that Jesus Christ is in heaven now. Those things kind of come together in our passage today, even as we consider the Lord's table. That the Lord supplements our faith or or he gives a foundation to our faith with this testimony contained in the gospel witness. And he helps our faith. He ministers to our faith with sensible signs as we gather around the table. 
so that our faith would not crumble because of a lack of evidence, and so that our faith would not be renounced because we say it's too much for us to bear. He comes to us in our weakness and ministers to us. The first point today, you can be sure. You can be sure that all that we read of Christ is true. And and that's not just a a bare scientific method, kind of rationalistic certainty. This is a, a spiritual certainty. That looks to Jesus and all that he has done for us. But that's the first point. You can be sure. You can be confident. This short passage we're looking at in the Gospel of John communicates to us basically two foundational and wonderful truths. Jesus Christ died and he died for sinners. He died and he died for sinners. There's considerable space within this short passage uh, given or dedicated to John's testimony of Jesus' true death. He, he almost goes on oath to say, I am the one who is born witness. I know that my testimony is true. I'm telling you, I saw it, I was there. And I'm telling you so that you may believe. Why is it important that Jesus really died? That it wasn't fake, he didn't fake it, he didn't swoon on the cross and was later rescued? Why is it important that uh, what was experienced there was a true human death. Well, first, it helps to form the things that we believe correctly about Jesus. He is true man. He is a genuine human being. He doesn't seem to be man. He isn't some kind of superhuman. That is that because he is joined to the divine nature? No. Jesus Christ has a true human nature. And this helps keeps us, keep us back from various aspects of, of heretical beliefs that have cropped up in the history of the church that have said, well, Jesus wasn't really truly, he, he wasn't actually man. No, he was. And he needed to be in order for us to be redeemed. The word became flesh. Man has sinned, man must pay for sin. Not only that, but man must go all the way to death in order to pay for sin. In the Catechism Question 40, Why did Jesus have to go all the way to death? Kind of an interesting question. Why why couldn't he have suffered in various ways and and kind of pile up that suffering as the perfect God-man, as the sinless one, and eventually he gets to the place where the price he pays is sufficient for all who would believe. Why couldn't he do that? Why did he have to go all the way to death? Why did he have to cross into the realm of the power of death? The catechism answered, answers, because God's justice and truth demand it. Only the death of the Son of God could pay for sin. In other words, death is needed. A true, genuine death is needed for redemption. And that is why the apostle is emphasizing it for us. He really died. Thus, if you trust in him, you are really redeemed. He does this through the account and Uh, The soldiers not breaking the legs. And then, of course, the piercing of the side where blood and water flows out. What's going on here? There's many different opinions. All kinds of of medical hypotheses have been formed over the years and over the centuries even. Pericardial effusion, a ruptured heart. Certain kinds of shock that could have come about from the the floggings that Jesus received. There there are many uh, different kinds of explanations that can be put forward. It seems most likely that uh, this is the soldier noticing that Jesus has died. This is a soldier who 
obviously performs a lot of crucifixions or oversees a lot of crucifixions. So he would know that after death, blood begins to separate between this red and a clearer plasma. And so he pierces the side of Jesus and then out comes blood and, and water. This is then a, a material sign that Jesus has died. The, the soldier is proving it. It's a true and genuine death accomplishes a true and genuine redemption, but there is a higher meaning as well. Clearly, the apostle is attaching to it something deeper and something more significant than just the presence of blood and water. And it connects to the whole sweep of Scripture, where blood and water play a a central role in God's redemption. Blood justifies you from sin. Blood provides forgiveness of sin. You see that in the tabernacle and in the temple worship all throughout uh, the Old Covenant worship. Water washes. So this is what Jesus does. That not only will there be forgiveness of sin offered through him, but he will cleanse, he will purify his people, he will present one day a bride that is spotless and pure not just justified and forgiven of sin, which is glorious in and, of, in and of itself, but he will provide, he will present a bride that is also cleansed from sin. Justified from the guilt of sin, freed from the power of sin, cleansed, sanctified, even in an ongoing way. Be of sin, the, the double cure, safe from wrath, and make me pure. The apostle also emphasizes fulfilled prophecies and, and scriptures in this short passage. This, was, this happened so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. This is most likely a reference to Exodus and the Passover. It could also reference Psalm 34, that God does not allow the, the bones of a righteous man to be broken. And it could be both of those, but, but certainly at least... Uh, an allusion to the Passover lamb. In other words, what we see from that, in that Jesus' bones were not broken on the cross, is that he is our Passover lamb. And what does the Passover lamb do in the book of Exodus? It very simply saves from death. The Passover lamb, the blood sprinkled on the doorpost, saves from death. That is what Jesus does. He saves his people from certain death and condemnation. That's what substitution does. That's what a vicarious atonement does. He is there in our place, suffering what only he could suffer for our our redemption so that we would not have to suffer it. He's the Passover lamb. Also, Zechariah chapter 12 is invoked here. They will look on him whom they have pierced. One of the the ways I think we we need to understand this prophecy being fulfilled is that everyone will one day look on the one who was pierced. And in Zechariah chapter 12, what happens is there's there's a mourning that comes about as they look on the one who was pierced. They they mourn as they realize who Jesus is. What's going on here? Well, for those who look to Jesus Christ now. If you are looking to Jesus Christ today and trusting in his work for your salvation, there's a joy that attends your faith. 
forgiven. Amazing love, how can it be? Thou, my God, shouldst die for me. There's a joy that attends your faith, but there's also a, a grieving and a mourning as you realize and see your own culpability in sending Jesus to the cross, what we dealt with earlier in our time of confession, that we see and understand that he went to the cross and we are culpable in that because he goes bearing our own sin. So we rejoice and yet we mourn. And then on that last day when Jesus Christ comes again and all of the earth looks upon the one who was pierced, there will be those who have not yet looked to the Son, have not yet trusted in him, and they will mourn because they will look on the one who was pierced and they will see there is no longer any hope for salvation. All will look to the one who is pierced. The question is, will you look now and see both joy in salvation and grief over your sin? Or will you look on the day that he returns and simply grieve and no more? What do fulfilled prophecies do? They cast lots for his clothing that fulfills Psalm 22. 22, all the hundreds, even thousands of of prophecies that have been fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ. What do those things do? They assure us that all that happened in the life of Christ was part of God's sovereign plan and everything that Jesus experienced was part of God's sovereign purposes so that we can know that God is always in control, nothing takes him by surprise, and all that he promises to us in Christ is true and real. It fills us with confidence. We can be sure in a faith-filled kind of way. So why does it matter that Jesus died? Without a death, we are not forgiven. Without a death, we will not be cleansed. Without a death, our giving ourselves to Christ as his disciples is in vain. Taking up your cross is in vain if Jesus did not go all the way to death. For without that, we are not redeemed. This table is given to us so that we can be confident, so that we can be sure that Jesus is our Savior, that he reconciles us to God. God gives us this wonderful, wonderful passages like this, where eyewitness testimony is attended to with a call to faith, a call to believe in Jesus Christ. I have written these things, John says, so that you may believe. At the same time, God gives, us to us, gives to us sensible signs, bread, and wine, so that our faith might be strengthened. As human beings, we tend to trust the things that we take in through our senses. God knows that this is true, so he condescends to us. It says here is a proclamation of the reality of Christ, something you can see, taste, smell. As surely as I see the bread, the catechism says, as surely as I see the cup, so sure can I be that salvation is found in him. You can be sure. And God gives this to us for that reason. You can be sure. But secondly, this morning, you must accept. You must accept. Eating and drinking is a picture of accepting and trusting. It's can be said that really every time we eat food or drink something to hydrate us, that there is implicit in that an admission that we can't nourish ourselves. We, we're, we're hungry and so we need to get something to eat. We, we're dependent upon those things to nourish us, food and drink. 
To come to the Lord's table is to adopt a posture that proclaims you cannot save yourself. You need something to cleanse you. You need something to nourish your soul so that you might continue to walk after him all of your days. To accept all of Jesus' suffering and death, as the Catechism says, is to see in him all that you need, all that you so desperately need for salvation. You must accept. True faith, uh, what is it that sets true faith especially apart from any kind of false faith? True faith is not just, I recognize that Jesus lived. I recognize that, that Jesus died. I, I accept this, the way that this system of salvation works. True faith says, all of that is done for me. All of that is for me. Faith is not just knowledge of the facts or recognition of the truthfulness of the facts. It is seeing that all that Jesus did was not only for forgiveness generally, but for your forgiveness. In other words, true faith says that Jesus lived righteously under the law. That he suffered various insults from the religious class. That he endured scourgings. That he went all the way to the cross. That he hung on the cross. That he breathed his last for you. I was, uh, we were reflecting on Friday night and talking about you know, 20 years on from September 11th and talking to my very young children about uh, some of the connections that our family has uh, to 9-11. Distant connections, we kind of know different things and people who are involved and all those kinds of things. And it's kind of, it's to step back and think about that. You know, a kid who lived in Lansing, Illinois at the time has all these various connections to it and that, that great tragedy. But true faith looks at the most monumental event in the history of the world. Something that will never be seen again until Jesus returns. The crucifixion of the Son of God, the Lord of glory, and to see your intimate interest bound up with it. He carried the cross. He hung on the cross. He breathed his last for you. What happens at the Lord's Supper, as surely as the bread is broken and then given to you, the catechism says, that is how sure you can be that he suffered for you, that he died for you. True, what sets true faith apart is, is that which says, yes, Jesus did all of this, but he did all of this for me. You must accept you must accept with a believing heart. Call to our covenant children this morning as we gather around the table. As we uh, continue to raise you in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. As we prepare you to one day come to the table as you profess your faith in Jesus Christ. And in the midst of the church and the presence of God's people. Think about that second question and answer that we read this morning. What does it mean to eat the crucified body? And to drink the poured out blood of Jesus. It means to accept with a believing heart that all that he does at the cross is for my salvation. As we prepare you to one day make that profession of faith, as we prepare you to one day come to the table, 
What I want you to think about today is that even still with a believing heart, you can accept all that Jesus does to forgive you of your sin. That even as we are hopeful that one day you will join us in eating and drinking, there's a participation, a special participation you have today. Look to Jesus because of what he does. If you accept it, if you trust in what he does, your sins are forgiven. And we look forward to one day welcoming you uh, to this table. You can be sure you must accept. And then finally, very briefly, the promise that you will grow. God says, come to the rock of ages. Look to him in faith. Continue uh, eating and drinking. Jesus Christ, his body and his blood. Give yourself to the word of God. Exist uh, within the church, underneath the preaching, the fellowship of the saints. If you do all of that, the spirit whom Christ has given living in you, will unite you more and more to Jesus Christ so that that spirit will govern all that you do. A wonderful promise. You will grow in your love, in your service, in your devotion to God. Just as you are nourished with food and drink, so you will be nourished spiritually if you accept with the believing heart all that Jesus does for you, for your salvation, and continue to attend to the things that God gives to you for your spiritual good. Let's gather together and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before the sacrament this morning, humbled to think of all that our Savior has done. We ask, O oh Father, that you would bless this time, and bless our observance, our eating and drinking. Cleanse us once more. Allow us to do all that we do here, in faith, the glory of God in the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Amen.